Hi, this is Jared Murphy from City Limits. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, and for the Max and Murphy podcast, we're on the road today. Uh, we are currently sitting in a, a diner in Red Hook, New York. It's the Red Hook Diner, actually. It's, it's the Red Hook Diner. Historic Red Hook Diner. <laughs> uh, I took the train up from Brooklyn to the Bronx this morning and hopped in the Murphy Mobile uh, for, a, for a trip upstate to uh, Tivoli, New York. Tivoli, New York, which apparently is uh, just over 1,100 people in one square mile, but is the base of power for Mark Molinaro. It's the epicenter of the Republican Party right now in New York. The moment is, uh, where he announced in a beautiful historical firehouse that is now the town offices and library, apparently, um, to a a very enthusiastic crowd and a lot of TV cameras, and um, yeah, he he announced himself as now the, I would say, leading Republican challenger to Governor Cuomo. Yeah, we've known for a few weeks that Mark Molinaro was was a candidate for governor. He had sort of declared it without an official launch, and we decided to make the trip up to Tivoli for his initial launch announcement, as Jared said, in, a, in front of a very enthusiastic crowd in his the town where he grew up and was the the mayor of the village. It's a village, we should be, we should say. Um, and then he's on his way to Albany for a second announcement, but we were at his initial launch uh, announcement. And so what you're going to hear on the, on the podcast today is um, a little bit of Molinaro's launch speech. And then we'll be back with a little more discussion about the rest of the speech and a little recap and analysis of uh, not only Molinaro's launch, but where we're, where we're going from here. Welcome to Tivoli. I used to say when I was in the State Assembly that the best part of going to Albany was coming home again. And well, I'm home again. I am so grateful, I am so grateful to all of you for being here. All of you for being here. Some of you have traveled a long distance to find this little place. When my when my family moved us to Tivoli in 1989, I said to my granddad, who many of you know was an inspiration to me, Albert Denanzio, I said, we're moving to the middle of nowhere. <laughs> he said, it's better to live in the middle of nowhere than on the edge of nowhere. <laughs> and there are too many families in New York living on the edge. Yes. <laughs> I believe that this generation of New Yorkers does, in fact, have a rendezvous with destiny. And while an unlikely path, all roads have brought us, all of us, to this very moment. I would not be here were it not for the love and inspiration and care of two amazing parents, Donna and Skip, who inspired us. And I am grateful to an amazing woman who makes my days, my life, my every moment more peaceful. She is an amazing, amazing mom and a wonderful wife, and I'm grateful to you. I try 
traveled the state of New York over the last two years, and as many of you know, a few months ago, I decided it wasn't my time. That running for governor was too tough a climb. The political climate too turbulent, and the sacrifice too great. That others would come forward. But then something surprising happened, and that something was you. The calls, the emails, the tweets, the outpouring of encouragement moved me to reconsider. And the more I thought about it, the more I knew that my sacrifice would be nothing compared to the sacrifices so many New Yorkers who struggle every day in this once empire state. Seniors on fixed incomes having to choose between filling a prescription and buying food. College graduates struggling to find a job under the crushing burden of debt and student loans. Moms and dads grappling with health insurers to find adequate care for a child living with addiction. And farmers and small business owners working to make payroll and keep afloat. And yes, those with disabilities fighting for acceptance, support, and respect that they deserve. And as we looked to our state capitol, I saw an administration focused inward, not on the people, but on self-preservation, political survival, and presidential ambitions. And finally, as I listened to and talked with my family, and as I prayed, I came to the conclusion that our state is at a dangerous crossroads. We see the needs of everyday New Yorkers being neglected, and so many left without hope. So today, I humbly ask you to join me. Join me in a campaign larger than any one person, any one candidate. A campaign more important than a race for governor. A campaign for the people and the very soul of the state of New York. Inspired in this very room like people, by people like my good Uncle Sam, Sam Lore, Ann Rush, and all of the men and women who worked in this very building. I know that I know. I know there are so many who got me here. So today, in this place, in this very place that taught me so much, among each of you who have inspired me, I announce I am running for governor. that we are on an unlikely path and it is and it is it is an unlikely path but no more unlikely than the journey that brought me here today like most of you I wasn't born into money I wasn't born with a famous name or in a leading political family I grew up working class and our family like too many today struggled to make ends meet public assistance was a safety net for us there were nights that food stamps put dinner on our table and I thought I was the luckiest kid at the James V. Forrestal Elementary School because I got a free lunch. <laughs>
So you've just heard a few minutes of Mark Molinaro's gubernatorial campaign launch speech in Tivoli. Uh, Jared, what were your takeaways of his remarks? We heard the full 20 minutes or so. Well, you know, it was a perfect setting for him. He's a guy who comes from Tivoli as a, as a public official. It's where he was, a, I think, a trustee at age 18 and a mayor at 19. A room full of, as we mentioned earlier, uh, enthusiastic supporters, and he really kind of fed off that. Um, a lot of energy. Uh, you know, Molinaro was sweating. It was a warm room, and he clearly was, was working it. Um, you know, a, a, a real sort of energetic, uh, positive message, generally. Um, and talking about government as being something that can be a positive force in people's lives, talked about being, um, you know, to some degree using food stamps and public assistance um, when he was young, and uh, focusing as most, you know, introductory speeches do, not really on the finer points of policy, but really a lot about tone, uh, the tone of government, a tone that he thinks he can bring to government uh, from his background as a, as a mayor of a small town for, I think he said, a dozen years, yep. and uh, and then as Duchess County Executive for the last several. Yeah, I mean, he, he made no bones about that he feels like public service is his calling and his, uh, his mission and what he was meant to do, and he's been in public service his entire adult life. And so it's very interesting because he is a Republican and he does believe in reigning in government to some extent. He also made this key point that he believes that limited but active government can really have an impact. And he's seen some of it, as you said, firsthand, um, but he's also lived it. And he also, you know, just really seems to think that government can be a problem solving, unifying force. Um, the people in the room have seen him up close and personal. Uh, I know he's talked to a couple people afterward, individually, people who've seen him as mayor of this town as Dutchess County Executive and in other roles, including being an assembly member for a few years. And people that were there, of course, they're his supporters, you know, really believe in his ability to lead in that way. And very little talk among the people I talked to about ideology. Um, and I think, you know, it's, they, they weren't, weren't emphasizing ideology today. That was not the talking point of the campaign. But I think in his work on the local level, you know, most of the issues he's dealt with have not been cast in ideological terms. And that's interesting because, you know, he comes to the race as a Republican, um, as a person who is not a supporter of the president, but as someone who is known to have been um, anti-abortion rights and anti-gay marriage in the past. Uh, the focus on kind of like basic uh, problem solving, you know, the idea that there's no Democratic or Republican way to take out the garbage, if exactly. you believe that, right. is definitely part of his uh, sort of his, his public image. Right. That's always that cliche line. I think there are ways to deconstruct that where that might actually be uh, accurate, you know, when you get into things like uh, labor unions and who exactly is picking up the trash and uh, what hours are you doing it and things exactly. like that. But, but um, that we'll save that for another <laughs> podcast, maybe. Um, you know, well, just to, yeah. a, a point you made about his background being a person who basically his entire adult life uh, has been in, in public office um, one way or the other uh, is interesting because it means that really he and Andrew Cuomo share that. I mean, Andrew Cuomo coming up as his father's lieutenant, um, spending a little time in the public, in the private sector, sort of between jobs, but really his life has primarily been about um, being in or next to elective office as a, a HUD official and HUD secretary and then as attorney general and governor. Right. Typically, a Republican is going to come with a different story, a story of private industry 
being able, therefore, to have like an implicit critique of government. Uh, Mark Marlonano won't have that line. What he can talk about is, as you said, a government that, that works differently, operates somehow differently. Um, but he is not in a position to talk about government as being like inherently evil because he's spent his entire life in it. Right, exactly. I, I think one of the interesting, you know, you hit on this I, notion about ideology, and that's, that is, you know, when you're setting policy for the state, it's very different than being a local elected official who has much more sort of concrete tasks at hand. Now, the governor of the state has to worry about both and has to worry about how services are executed around the state, but also has to weigh in and lead the state in a certain direction on, you name the issue, whether it's social, economic, etc. So he's going to quickly find himself in a position of having to talk about President Trump, uh, how services are performed by state and local entities, but also things like his vote against same-sex marriage in 2011 and, and, you know, other issues like that. He's going to try, you know, it seemed from this speech and, you know, uh, I talked to him a couple of months ago and other things, you know, watching him, it seems like he's going to very much make the case that he is the type of person that you want as a leader of the state and that Andrew Cuomo is not the type of person that should really be leading the state. And he talked about Cuomo too often being divisive and that he is more of a unifying figure and that's sort of one of these big themes. And again, to this point, you know, he's got some pretty solid, uh, it seems like vouchers, you know, behind him and a couple other people I've talked to are not just sort of Republican stalwarts who've said, yeah, this guy, you know, works across the aisle and he might believe what he believes, but he... He does hear from a lot of voices. I mean, he made a very interesting point in the Q&A, the quick Q&A he did with us after with reporters, uh, you know, sort of an offhanded comment about the, a, a female legislative leader should have been in the negotiations about sexual harassment policies, obviously referring to Democratic Senate Minority Leader Andrew Stewart-Cousins and the discussions that just happened at the state level. So he's at least talking about that stuff, has a bit of a background, you know, in being bipartisan, it seems, um, but that's very different than, than becoming governor. And I think to that point of talking about the vastness of the state, I was struck by the fact that early in his remarks, uh, which were not uh, terribly lengthy, uh, he talked about New York City, the transit system, and homelessness in New York City, and talked about some of the drivers of that. He focused on, on mental health, but he also talked about a public housing system that was inadequate, um, attempting to link together the kind of feeling of dispossession and anxiety that you hear a lot in upstate New York, where counties are losing population, with some of the feeling in, in New York City itself. Um, and, you know, he made an effort in that Q&A after the fact to talk more about downstate issues as well, referring to some family connections he had to Yonkers and some familiarity with, uh, with problems there. And he was asked about the MTA, and he said, you know, the MTA doesn't have a revenue issue. It has a spending and management problems. Um, you know, he talked about too much interference from the governor's office with the MTA. So he's definitely going to be talking about issues of importance to, you know, quote unquote, downstaters, including New York City. Um, you know, one of the big takeaways for me from being there and seeing him is, you know, this is um, a guy who has a real chance here to make some of this insider and outsider argument, right? He's been in government, as we've talked about. He's even been in the state assembly, so he knows Albany a bit. 
But he, and this is part of the reason that a lot of Republicans are rallying around him as opposed to his main competitor, State Senator John DeFrancisco, is that he can make this argument about not having been part of the Albany, uh, you know, quote unquote, cesspool and not having voted for the governor's budgets and not having been part um, for more than a couple of years of the way that Albany currently does business. And he's the type of person that come in, can come in and help change the way Albany does. Well, things. right. He has experience without, you know, the stains that come with having experience of being very close to the current center of power. You know, obviously, I think uh, his opponents uh, in the Republican Party, perhaps, but certainly Governor Cuomo, will say that, that while he has governing experience, it's in a very particular uh, uh, context. You know, the town that he was mayor of is a town of 1,100 people, or the villages to say that he was mayor of is a town of 1,100 people. Dutchess County, uh, their population is, uh, you know, not, not equivalent to uh, any of New York City's boroughs, I'm sure that this is a different form of government from having to run a state of, of 19 million people. Sure. Um, I think that's a point that, they, that he clearly will make. One thing that was interesting is they, that the, the speech did get into a few kind of very broad policy points. He talked about infrastructure, he talked about education, very specific mentions on a couple points of the speech of special education and autism, which he obviously has a, uh, a, a personal connection to. Um, but something that you don't typically hear politicians mention is special education as kind of the top line issue in the school system. Yeah, it's absolutely very interesting. And we'll see, you know, one of the questions to him afterwards was to talk a little bit more about what his big ideas for the campaign are. And he wasn't really ready to talk about that. Um, but, you know, he's, he's talking in bigger themes now. But it will be very interesting if special education services are one of your top priorities as you said that's very different and what does that look like what is a state level policy that you want to put into place or what do you want to do about funding or mandates or what is it that that you're going to do about that area that would be a very interesting topic for to see how he follows up on i mean he, he and he mentioned as well uh so you special education he mentioned the opioid crisis uh and people who are affected by that which i think has had a devastating effect um, on many communities throughout the state, uh, urban and otherwise, but it's felt very, very, very powerfully in more rural areas like the one we're still driving through. Uh, and he also uh, talked about people with disabilities and the need to make government more inclusive. Those are sort of three groups that at one point would be considered uh, sort of odd constituencies to build a campaign around. But because of the increasing incidence of all three of those, drug addiction, people living with disabilities and uh, children who are on the autism autism spectrum uh, and, and dealing with special education in one way or the other. Um, you know, I think that's a powerful potential combination of people who believe the government is not serving them sufficiently. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, he's starting to really talk about what people just regular New Yorkers, you know, are going to want to hear about. They're going to want to hear from gubernatorial candidates about things that are very much related to their lives. People are not going to be as interested even in some of the corruption issues related to the governor and his inner circle that he talked about. They're not necessarily going to care that much about the secretive processes and four men in a room in Albany, which he also referenced. Um, Although you can obviously make a connection between those types of processes and those types of corruption issues and the outcomes, the policy outcomes. And so, you know, that's what a candidate needs to do. And we see Cynthia Nixon trying to do that in the Democratic primary. Um, but, you know, people are going to really want to hear about the policies related to their lives, their struggles, their communities. 
One other thing that's clearly going to be a benchmark of this Molinaro campaign is uh, reducing taxes, trying to lessen the tax burden on localities and on families and, and property owners. Um, so we're going to see what his proposals are around those. You know, as Dutchess County Executive, he's been very clear that there's too many quote-unquote unfunded mandates that come down from the state onto localities. So what are his, you know, this is often the question that I have for Republican leadership, Republican candidates are, what do you want to cut? And then how do you then decide what service, you know, what do you want to cut financially? And then how do you decide what services to then cut? Or how do you continue some similar level of services with less money? Exactly. I mean, I think, you know, I asked a town supervisor from nor the town of Northeast, his name was George Kay, afterward, uh, whether people had like an active antipathy to Andrew Cuomo. And he said it wasn't really uh, like that. It wasn't that people disliked Cuomo. It was that they felt as though like their, their needs weren't really part of his sort of governing agenda, that he wasn't really a factor in their lives, except as an external force imposing, as you said, unfunded mandates, and then on the other side, the property tax cap, which Cuomo has sold as a boon to local areas, but in fact has squeezed local governments because they are constrained in how much revenue they can take in, but continually asked to do more in terms of mandates. And he gave me an example, which is, you know, his small town, which has like 3,000 people in it, they have to get their ambulance crews trained for 120 hours now. And that's very difficult for them to arrange, and so they've lost volunteers. They've had to go to a paid ambulance company that's cost them like $400,000 a year, which is a huge amount in a town of that. And they're trying to do it under a property tax cap that the governor has also imposed. So it's that kind of thing that people have in their mind when they're looking at people like Molinaro, who has sort of had to deal with that on a very kind of rubber meets the road level. So, you know, in our last minute or two here, as we, you know, we think about Mark Molinaro now officially in the Republican field for governor, even though he's unofficially been in for weeks now and has already sort of racked up a bunch of county leader endorsements and is seen as the front runner to get that nomination. And uh, the Republicans will have their nominating convention in May. Uh, most likely, the person that comes out of that with the backing of the state committee will just be the nominee. They're not going to have an extended primary competition through September, which it seems like Cuomo and Cynthia Nixon might have. Um, so we're looking ahead to that. Molinaro's in the race now. Um, it's going to be interesting to me how mostly, I think, he and even John DeFrancisco, you know, as he goes towards the convention, they're going to continue to have their um, attacks trained on Governor Cuomo. Now, DeFrancisco, since he's now seen as the underdog, he might go after Molinaro a little bit, maybe. Um, Cynthia Nixon will continue to attack Andrew Cuomo. So this is going to be sort of from the left, from the right, months of lots of attacks on Cuomo. I think that's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out, how he reacts to that, um, and how his, his campaign figures out a way to respond in both directions. Right. I mean, I think Molinaro, uh, as you've been mentioning, if he can campaign as someone who, you know, delivers effective government, um, he's clearly just, it's obvious to say, he's more personable than Andrew Cuomo. Um, you know, Andrew Cuomo's never been a person who got elected because people liked him. They got elected because people thought he would be effective, re-elected because people thought he was competent. Uh, if Molinaro can tap 
can, can eat away at that and show himself to be a potentially more effective and more likable person um, and avoid the conversation about ideology where Cuomo might be in better step with most people in the state. I think he'll do well. Obviously, there are kind of two big questions. One is Molinar doesn't have very much money. Yes. Uh, that's a huge, yes. huge potential obstacle. And two is that, you know, to some degree, the very argument he's making uh, illustrates the political difficulty of, of his making it. You have a vast swath of New York State where people have the kind of worries he talked about today, like places like Tivoli and like Dutchess County. But one of the manifestations of those problems is that people are departing those counties in droves. And so they have a lot fewer voters than they used to. As a constituency, it makes a lot of sense for him. He's going to be able to tap into that. Whether they will generate the number of votes needed to offset the advantages Cuomo has elsewhere in the state, especially for a fairly, at this point, very poorly funded candidate, that is obviously the biggest test he faces. So there was a lot of buzz uh, outside the event in Tivoli because there was a car parked right outside that had a license plate that said by Cuomo, as in BYE Cuomo, as in goodbye Andrew Cuomo. Uh, and I wound up talking to the owner of the car and the owner of the license plate after. And he sort of hit on something that you said. I was asking him questions not only about why he had the license plate and why he wanted to show it. Um, and he said he had actually gotten it before Cuomo's first re-election in 2014 when he defeated Rob Astorino, who was the Westchester County Executive. So this guy has been interested in Andrew Cuomo leaving office for a while. Um, he said he was a firefighter in, in Dutchess County, so he knew Mark Molinaro well. Uh, and he said he was worried about having to leave the state himself because he wasn't going to be a firefighter forever. And he's uh, worried about high taxes, and he, you know, talked about that. And he, and he also indicated that, you know, part of the reason he felt like Andrew Cuomo won last time was that Republicans weren't very good at not only making their case around the state, but also getting people out to vote. So what you say, you know, coincides with sort of this Cuomo critic's take. He said he's ready to help Molinaro win in any way possible, including by, you know, driving his car around with the with the by Cuomo plate on it. I don't know how many votes that's good for, but he said he's ready to do it. Well, it was, I think, a, a, like a Camaro or something. It was kind of an Andrew Cuomo muscle it was, car. It was a Cuomo-type car. Uh, and as we pilot down the Taconic Parkway in our Prius, which is muscular in its own way, uh, yeah, it's definitely, Environmentally muscular. definitely an issue we'll be looking at.